Chapter forty one of Highways and Byways in Sussex. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Yearsley. Highways and Byways in Sussex by E. V. Lucas. Chapter forty one The Sussex Dialect. The body of the Sussex dialect is derived from the Saxon. Its accessories can be traced to the Celts, to the Norse, thus rape a division of the county is probably an adaptation of the icelandic hrepr and to the french some hundreds of huguenots having fled to our shores after the edict of nantes the hastings fishermen for example often say bocco for plenty and frap to strike while in the rye neighbourhood where the huguenots were strongest such words as disabile meaning untidy undressed and peter grievous from petit grief meaning fretful are still used but saxon words are of course considerably more common you meet them at every turn a sussex auctioneer's list that lies before me a catalogue of live and dead farming stock to be sold at a homestead under the south downs is full of them so blunt and sturdy they are these ancient primitive terms of the soil lot one pitch prong two half-pitch prongs, two four-speen spuds, and a road-hoe. Lot five, five short prongs, flint-spud, dung-drag, two turnip-pecks, and two shovels. Lot nine, six hay-rakes, two scythes and sneaths, cross-cut saw, and a sheep-hook. Lot thirty-nine, corn-chest, open-tub, milking-stool, and hog-form. Lot forty-three, bushel-measure, shawl and strike. Lot 100. Rick-borer. Lot 143. Eight knaves and seven fellows. Lot 148. Six dirt-boards and pair of wood-hames. Lot 152. Wheelwright's Sampson. Lot 174. Set of thill-harness. Lot 201. Three plough-bolts, three tween-sticks. Lot 204. Sundry harness and whippances. Lot 208. Tickle plough. Lot 222. Iron turn wrist, pronounced turn riced, plough. Lot 242. Nine tine scarifier. Lot 251. Clod crusher. Lot 252. Hay tedder. From another catalogue, more ramologues, these abrupt and active little words might be called, but at one as lot four flint spud two drain scoops bull lead and five dibbles lot ten dung rake and dung devil lot eleven four juts and a zinc skip farm labourers are men of little speech and it is often needful that voices should carry far hence this crisp and forcible reticence the vocabulary of the countryside undergoes few changes and the noises to-day made by the ox-herd who urges his black and smoking team along the hillside are precisely those that Piers Ploughman himself would have used. Another survival may be noticed in objuration. A Sussex man swearing by Job, as he often does, is not calling in the aid of the patient sufferer of Ur, but Job, the Anglo-Saxon Jupiter. A few examples of Sussex speech, mainly drawn from Mr. Parrish's Dictionary of the Sussex Dialect, 
will help to add the true flavour to these pages. Mr. Parrish's little book is one of the best of its kind. That it is more than a contribution to etymology, a very few quotations will show. Mr. Parrish lays down the following general principles of the Sussex tongue. A before double D becomes R, whereby ladder and adder are pronounced larder and arder. A before double L is pronounced like O. Fallow and tallow become foller and toller. A before T is expanded into E-A. Rate, mate, plate, gate are pronounced reat, meat, peat, geat. A before CT becomes E as satisfaction for satisfaction. E before CT becomes A, and affection, effect, and neglect are pronounced affaction, effect, and neglect. Double E is pronounced as I in such words as sheep, weak, called ship and wick, and the sound of double E follows the same rule in filled for field. Having pronounced E E as I, the Sussex people, in the most impartial manner, pronounce I as E-E, and thus mice, hive, dive, become meese, heave, and deave. I becomes E in pet for pit, spet for spit, and similar words. I-O and O-I change places, respectively, and violet and violent become voilet and voilent while boiled and spoiled are biled and spiled. O before N is expanded into OA in such words as pony, don't, bone, which are pronounced poony, doant, boon. O before R is pronounced as A, as carn and marning, for corn and morning. O also becomes A in such words as rad, crass, and crap, for rod, cross, and crop. O-U is elongated into ow, A-O-U, in words like hound, pound, and mound, pronounced hound, pound, and mound. The final O-W, as in many other counties, is pronounced E-R, as foller, for fallow. The peculiarities with regard to the pronunciation of consonants are not so numerous as those of the vowels, but they are very decided, and seem to admit of less variation. Double T is always pronounced as D, as little for little, etc., and the TH is invariably D. Thus the becomes D, and these them theirs, these dem theirs. D in its turn is occasionally changed into TH, as in fother for fodder. The final SP in such words as wasp, clasp, and hasp are reversed to wops, clarps, and harps. Words ending in st have the addition of a syllable in the possessive case and the plural, and instead of saying that some little birds had built their nests near the posts of Mr. West's gate, a Sussex boy would say, The birds had built their nests near the posts of Mr. West's gate. Roughly speaking, Sussex has little or no dialect absolutely its own, for the country speech of the West is practically that also of Hampshire, 
and of the east that of Kent. The dividing line between east and west, Mr. Cripps of Staining tells me, is the Adur, once an estuary of the sea rather than the stream it now is, running far inland and separating the two Sussexes with its estranging wave. Mr. Parrish's pages supply the following words and examples of their use, chosen almost at random. A done, have done, leave off. I am told on good authority that when a Sussex damsel says, Oh, do a done, she means you to go on, but when she says, A done do, you must leave off immediately. Crownation, coronation. I was married the day the crownation was, when there was a bullock roasted whole up at Furrell Park. Furl, I don't know as ever I eat anything so purty in all my leaf. But I never got no further than Furrell Crossways all neat. No more didn't a good many. Dentical, dainty. My master says that this here Prussian, query Persian, cat, what you gave me is a deal too dentical for a poor man's cat. He wants one as will catch de meese and keep herself. Done a many. I do not know how many. There was a done a many people come to see that good hog of mine when she was took bad, and they all go it in as she was took with the information. We did all as ever we could for her. There was a bottle of stuff what I had from the doctor time my leg was so bad, and we took and mixed it in with some milk, and give it to her lukewarm. But none as we could give her didn't seem to do her any good. Foreigner, a stranger, a person who comes from any county but Sussex. I have often heard it said of a woman in this village, who comes from Lincolnshire, that she has got such a good notion of work that you'd never find out but what she was an Englishwoman, without you was to hear her talk. Frenchy, a foreigner of any country who cannot speak English, the nationality being added or not, as the case seems to require. Thus an old fisherman, giving an account of a Swedish vessel which was wrecked on the coast a year or two ago, finished by saying that he thought the French Frenchies, take em all in all, were better than the Swedish Frenchies, for he could make out what they were driving at, but he was all at sea with the others. Heart, condition, said of ground. I've got my garden and a pretty good heart at last, and if so be as there weren't quite so many spars and greybirds and roberts and one thing and t'other, I dunno but what I might get a tidy lot of sass. But there, tain't no use what you do as long as there's so much varmint about. Hill, the South Down country, is always spoken of as the hill by the people in the Weald. He's gone to the hill harvesting. Inkhorn, inkstand. Fetch me down to inkhorn, mistress. I be going to put my hand to this here partition to Parliament. Tis again the Romans, mistress. For if so be as the Romans get the upper hand on us, we shall all be burned, and bloodshedded, and have our Bibles took away from us, and there'll be a hem set out. Just about, certainly, extremely. I just about did enjoy myself up at the Crystal Palace on the Forester's Day, but there was a terrible girt crowd. I should think there must have been two or three hundred people 
a-scrouging about. No, used as a substantive for knowledge. Poor fellow, he has got no no whatsomdever, but his sister is a nice, knowledgeable girl. Lamentable, very. This word seems to admit of three degrees of comparison, which are indicated by the accentuation. Thus, positive, lamentable, as usually pronounced. Comparative, lamentable. Superlative, lamentable. Master Chucks, he says to me, says he, tis lamentable pretty weather, Master Crockham. Lamentable, says I. Larder, corruption of ladder. Master's got a lodge down on the land yonder, and as I was going across t'other day morning to fetch a larder we keeps there, a lawyer catched hold of me and scratched my face. Note, lawyer, a long bramble full of thorns, so called because when once they gets a hold on you, you don't easy get shut of em. End note. Little, diminutive of little. I never see one of these here good men there's so much talk about in the papers only once, and that was up at Smiffle's show. I dunno many years ago. Prime Minister, they told me he was, up at Lunnon. A little, leer, miserable, skinny-looking chap as ever I see. Disraeli, I imagine. Why, I says, we don't count our minister to be much, but he's a deal primer-looking than what yourn be. Lonest, alone. Will you lend mother to lonest of a little tea? Master, pronounced mass, the distinctive title of a married labourer. A single man will be called by his Christian name all his life long, but a married man, young or old, is mass, even to his most intimate friend and fellow workman, as long as he can earn his own livelihood. But as soon as he becomes past work, he turns into the old gentleman leaving the breadwinner to rank as master of the household. Mass is quite a distinct title from Mr., which is always pronounced Mus. Thus, Mus Smith is the employer. Mass Smith is the man he employs. The old custom of the wife speaking of her husband as her master still lingers among elderly people, but both the word and the reasonableness of its use are rapidly disappearing in the present generation. It may be mentioned here that they say in Sussex that the rosemary will never blossom except where the mistress is master. May be, and may hap, perhaps. Maybe you knows Mas Pilbeam. No? Don't you? Well, he was a very singular man, was Mas Pilbeam. A very singular man, he says to his mistress one day. He says, "'Tis a long time, says he, since I've took a holiday. So cardinally, Next morning he laid abed till pretty nigh seven o'clock, and then he breakfasts, and then he goes down to the shop and buys four ounces of bacca, and he sets himself down on the maxon, and there he set, and there he smoked and smoked and smoked all the whole day long. For, says he, tis a long time since I've had a holiday. Ah, he were a very singular man. A very singular man, indeed. Queer to puzzle. It has queered me for a long time to find out who that man is. And my mistress, she's been quite in a quirk over it. He don't seem to be quaint with nobody. 
and he don't seem to have no business, and for all that he's always to and thro, to and thro, for everlasting. Reynolds. Mus Reynolds is the name given to the fox. When I was first told that Mus Reynolds come along last night, he was spoken of so intimately that I supposed he must be some old friend, and expressed a hope that he had been hospitably received. He helped himself, was the reply, and thereupon followed the explanation, illustrated by an exhibition of mutilated poultry. Short, tender, a rat-catcher once told me that he knew many people who were in the habit of eating barn-fed rats, and he added, when darin' a pudding, you couldn't tell them from a chick. They eat so short and purty. Shruck, shrieked, an old woman who was accidentally locked up in a church where she was slumbering in a high pew, said, I shruck till I could shruck no longer, but no one comed. So I up and tulled upon the bell. Spannel, to make dirty footmarks about a floor, as a spaniel dog does. I goes into the kitchen, and I says to my mistress, I says, "'Twas of a Saturday. The old sow's hem ornery, I says. Well, says she, there ain't no call for you to come spannelin' about my clean kitchen. Any more for that, she says. So I goes out and didn't say noun, for you can never make no sense of women folks of a Saturday. Surely there are few words more frequently used by Sussex people than this. It has no special meaning of its own, but it is added at the end of any sentence to which particular emphasis is required to be given. Tedious, excessive, very. I never did see such tedious bad stuff in all my life. Mr. Parrish might here be supplemented by the remark that his definition explains the use of the word by Old Walker, as related by Nyron, when bowling to Lord Frederick Beauclerk. Oh, he said, that was tedious near you, my lad. Unaccountable, a very favourite adjective which does duty on all occasions in Sussex. A countryman will scarcely speak three sentences without dragging in this word. A friend of mine who had been remonstrating with one of his parishioners for abusing the parish clerk, beyond the bounds of neighbourly expression, received the following answer. You be quite right, sir. You be quite right. I've no ought to have said what I did, but I don't mind telling you to your head what I've said a many times behind your back. We've got a good shepherd, I says, an ex excellent shepherd, but he's got an unaccountable bad dog. Valiant, Veillant, French, stout, well-built. What did you think of my friend who preached last Sunday, Master Piper? Ah, he was a valiant man, he just did stand over the pulpit. Why, you beant nothing at all to him. See what a noble paunch he had. Yarbs, herbs. An old man in East Sussex said that many people set much store by the doctors, but for his part he was one for the yarbs, and Paul Podgam was what he went by. It was not for some time that it was discovered that by Paul Podgam he meant the polypodium fern. Such are some of the pleasant passages in Mr. Parrish's book. In Mr. Coker Egerton's Sussex Folk and Sussex Ways is an amusing example of gender in Sussex. The son, by the way, is always she or her to the Sussex peasant, as to the German savant. 
but it is not the only unexpected feminine in the county. Mr. Egerton gives a conversation in a village school, in which the master bids Tommy blow his nose. A little later he returns and asks Tommy why he has not done so. "'Please, sir, I did blow her, but her wouldn't bide blowed.' In the foregoing examples, Mr. Parrish has perhaps made the Sussex labourer a thought too epigrammatic, a natural tendency in the illustrations to such a work. The following narration of adventure from the lips of a Southdown shepherd, which is communicated to me by my friend Mr. C. E. Clayton, of Holmbush, is nearer to the normal loquacity of the type. I mind one day I'd been to buy some lambs, and coming home in the dark, over to Bostel, I gets to a field and I knows there was a geart, and I kept beating the hedge with my stick to find the geart, and at last I found un, and I goes to get over un, and t'was one o' these here girt ponds full of foul water I'd mistook for the geart, and so in I went, all over my head, and I tumbles out again middlin' sharp, and I slips, cause t'was so slubby, and in I goes again, and I do think I should have been drownded if it weren't for my stick and I was that frightened, and there were some bullocks close by, and I frightened them splashing about, and they began to run around, and that frightened me, and there, well, I was all wet through and grabby, and when I got home I looked like one of these here watercress men, but I kept my peep in my mouth all the time. I didn't lose em. The late Mr. F. E. Sawyer, another student of Sussex dialect, has remarked on the similarity between Sussex provincialisms and many words which we are accustomed to think peculiarly American. One cause may be the two hundred Sussex colonists taken over by William Penn, who, as we have seen, was at one time squire of Warminghurst. In recent years we have gathered from the works of American comic writers and others many words which at first have been termed vulgar Americanisms, but which, on closer examination, have proved to be good old Anglo-Saxon, and other terms which had dropped out of notice amongst us, but were retained in the new world. Take, for instance, two southern words, probably Sussex, quoted by Ray, 1674, squirm. Artemus Ward describes brother Uriah of the Shakers as squirming like a speared eel, and curiously enough Ray gives to squirm to move nimbly about after the manner of an eel, it is spoken of eel. Another word is sass, for sauce, also quoted by Artemus Ward. Mrs. Phoebe Earl Gibbons, an American lady, in a clever and instructive article in Harper's Magazine on English farmers, but, in fact, describing the agriculture, etc., of Sussex in a very interesting way, considers that the peculiarities of the present Sussex dialect resemble those of New England more than of Pennsylvania, she mentions, as Sussex phrases used in New England, you hadn't ought to do it, and you shouldn't ought. Be you, for are you? I see him, for I saw. You have a crock on your nose, for a smut. Nother, for neither. Passel, for parcel. And a pucker, for a fuss. In addition, she observes that Sussex people speak of the fall, for autumn, and guess and reckon, like genuine Yankees. So far, Mr. Sawyer, Sussex people also, I might add, disremember, as Huck Finn used to do. 
I should like to close the list of examples of Sussex speech by quoting a few verses from the Sussex version of the Song of Solomon, which Mr. Lower prepared for Prince Lucien Buonaparte some forty years ago. The experiment was extended to other southern and western dialects, the collection making a little book of curious charm and homeliness. Here is the fourth chapter. 1. Looky, you be purty, my love. Looky, you be purty. You've got dove's eyes, a dean your locks. Your hair is like a flock of goats that appear from Mount Gilead. 2. Your teeth be like a flock of sheep just shared that come up from the ship wash. Every one of em bears tweens, and ne'er a one among em is barren. 3. Your lips be like a thread of scarlet, and your speech is comely. Your temples be like a biot of a pomegranate the din your locks. 4. Your nick is like the tower of David, built for an armory, what they hang a thousand bucklers on, all shields of mighty men. 5. Your two breasts be like two young rows, what be twins, that feed among the lilies. 6. Till the daybreak, and the shadows go away, I'll get me to the mountain of myrrh, and to the hill of frankincense. 7. You be hem purty, my love, there ain't a spot in ye. 8. Come along with me from Lebanon, my spouse, with me from Lebanon. Look from the top of Amana, from the top of Shenir and Hermon, from the lion's dens, from the mountain of the leopards. 9. You've stole away my heart, my sister, my spouse. You've stole away my heart with one of your eyes, with one chain of your neck. 10. How fair is your love, my sister, my spouse! How much better is your love than wine, and the smell of your intimates than all spices! 11. Your lips, O oh my spouse, drap like the honeycomb. There's honey and milk under your tongue, and the smell of your garments is like the smell of Lebanon. 12. A fenced garn is my sister, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. 13. Your plants be an orchard of pomegranates, with pleasant fruits, camphire and spikenard. 14. Spikenard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and alas would all be the best of spices. 15. A fountain of garns, a well of living waters, and streams from Lebanon. 16. Wake, O north wind, and come, ye south, blow upon my garn, that the spices of it may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garn, and ate his pleasant fruits. End of chapter 41